Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. We were just talking off air that we're currently at a conference that a number of investors, it's just, it's a hot spot to be for ed tech, not just in the US, but around the world. And I was saying to you that in my outreach and wanting to cover the event, I selfishly selected you to sit down and talk with because I think it's important for us to understand those that have been at the forefront of ed tech that also are relevant and real in present time because I think it speaks to entrepreneurs. And I think that there's, an, there's a challenge for the entrepreneur. You always want that first win, but it's very hard to think about, well, okay, what happens once you've gotten that first win? How do you succeed? Do you have a next, a challenge? And so you'll hear about the loneliness of being an entrepreneur and especially of one that's reached a certain level of success. So with that as sort of the backdrop, let's talk a little bit about your history and then we'll, we'll sort of work our way up to class. Take me back to the early days of running Blackboard, being a CEO of what I would deem as the sort of the Coca-Cola of ed tech. Like without Blackboard, I don't know where we would be as an industry, you know, better or worse, I mean, sort of let people decide that. But bringing in technology into a learning environment and having that, then the entire landscape in that regard. What was it like in the early days? And when did you realize that you had, when I say it, it's not about an ego thing, but it to be a CEO in this space? Because I think entrepreneurs struggle with that. I had a conversation last night with an entrepreneur who said he's up for a CEO position and he's not sure that that's really his lane. He's more the creative side, right? So how did you know early on? A lot of good points you made. So to help kind of put it in context, just stepping back to the, so first of all, when we started Blackboard. So um, I had gone to American University. I had got my undergraduate degree in computer science. I then went on to Georgetown and got my MBA. Because I always had thought that to kind of be a leader in, in tech, you had to under, have those hard skills of uh, computers, but also understand business. How else could you, of course, uh, you know, end up running a, a, a tech company? And um, I was uh, rooming in my undergraduate with Matthew Patinsky, who's getting his undergraduate degree in teaching, and then went on to get his master's in education from uh, uh, Harvard and Columbia. And we both ended up working at KPMG Pete Morwick in their higher ed technology consulting group in downtown DC. And we were working with a lot of schools and the internet was really just starting to um, be integrated on these college campuses. And we saw that schools were spending millions of dollars wiring the dorm room and the classroom to the internet. And yet there was no software that made that useful for teaching and learning. So to us, it was so obvious that these schools were going to use and need software to put their courses online. But what was interesting was even though, like when I say it now, I'm like, oh, Blackboard, we invented online learning. Everyone's like, um, that's so obvious. How could you invent something so obvious? But no, back at the time, we would speak with schools and they would say, we're not going to put any of our courses online. First of all, um, uh, the teachers are Luddites. They don't know how to use technology. The students aren't asking for it. And by the way, it's probably illegal to put your grades online. So that was the, you know. That, that was the environment. That, that, was, the, that was the environment that, uh, you know, we were, um, you know, going into. But that showed, of course, there's there was no one doing it for all of those reasons. So we're like, hey, this is a big opportunity. So no, you know, to be honest, right from the beginning, we thought we were sitting on an idea that could radically transform and more importantly, improve education 
not just here in the United States, but around the world. So we knew it was a, a big opportunity. So then what about your background though? Even when you were a young, when you were a student, when you were a kid, like the early Michael days, right? Like a teenager, was there something in you? Because a lot of people have ideas or they'll recognize maybe an opening, right? They'll see a door kind of ajar and say, gosh, somebody's got to do something about that. It's a, very different though, I think for someone to say, not only is there an opening, but my God, I'm going to run through that opening. Like for you personally, not from a team or founders, but there's got to be from parents as a DNA. Like, I, so I, so I, it's funny because I, when I say this story, it makes me sound like I was some overachieving uh, kid. I was not, and, and just to, to be honest with you, I was not a great student in school, um, but I, I always was entrepreneurial. When I look back on my history, I was always starting little side businesses or side hustles as a as a kid. I had a, com I had a computer. Well, I had a computer early on, and I was like literally like ten or twelve years old, and I was like started writing code for like local businesses, and I would you know start charging them like fifty dollars an hour, and this is like you know as a as a twelve year old. So I was I was always doing businesses, trying to create things. So I think just naturally that was the part of my personality, but the where that overlaid with kind of execution was, so even early on, I actually thought, I was interest, interested in computers and I, I was interested in the leadership. And so I actually thought, oh, one day I want to be, so my goal, and, and now when I say it, and of course it happens, so it makes it sound like I, uh, I'm some kind of an overachiever, which I was not, but my goal was, I was like, oh, I want to be president of a computer company. And then <laughs> that for lack of any better stress, so I decided I should get my undergraduate degree in computers and then I should go get my MBA. And then for lack of any other strategy, I went and did that. And then I became president of a computer company. So I guess it worked. <laughs> um, and uh, so that just, when I went to college, you know, I was, we were always talking um, with me and my roommate Matt about like different companies we could start or different entrepreneurial ventures. And while we ended up at, at KPMG, um, uh, you know, we were working in the higher ed technology consulting group. So the one that was then obvious to us was this one about putting courses online. But the thing that I always tell people, a lot of, a lot of, um, especially a lot of students come to me because of my experience. They are very interested in, in starting a company or being an entrepreneur, but I don't know where to begin. I said, look, pick an industry that you're interested in and go do a deep dive there, work there, become uh, an expert in that industry. And if you're entrepreneurial, you'll see opportunity all over the place. When we were at KPMG Pete Marwick, we didn't just see the opportunity for putting classes online. We saw opportunities, we saw several different opportunities in education and also opportunities to improve consulting companies. And, and we only knew that because we were in that industry. So I always tell people, pick an interesting industry and go into it. Then you'll know what needs to, what needs to be done. And I, and I, and I, I expand upon that with this story. When I was in my MBA program, we used to sit around, just me and some of the students, like also coming up with you know, your random ideas. And, and, and one day I was like, you know, my, my bed sheets always keep coming off my bed. They should make straps that like hold the bed sheets under the bed. And uh, then I didn't do anything with that. And then like a year later, I'm walking in Bed Bath & Beyond and there's an entire wall of that exact thing. And I didn't even buy it. But the point was, I wasn't an expert in the sheet industry. So if, unless you are in the industry and you really know what's going on, so I tell people, go into an industry. I was working at KPMG Pete Marwick in their higher ed consulting group. We knew we that schools were spending money wiring the dorm room in the classroom and that they weren't buying software. That's what enabled us to come up with a good idea that we knew had a good market fit. Like, when did you first embrace or understand the word entrepreneur? Because it's so interesting. I mean, we use it today. I mean, it's just as common as the sun rising and setting. But I think 
young people of our generation, and we're, we're relatively close in age, that wasn't something that people talked, they talked maybe about being president of a computer company, right? <laughs> but so when did you realize that, wait a minute, this is my swim lane, like th this, not only does it, it fits, right? I mean, there, there's some time I think in a young person's life where they say, wow, that sings to me. I, but I agree with what you just said. We didn't have that growing up, actually. So, like, now you can, like, go join, like, the Entrepreneurship Club. Like, and you have all of these resources that are available to you. But, no, growing up, it, 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 it wasn't that. Like, I, I mean, even though I was kind of starting my own companies, that wasn't, like, you know, knowing about venture capital wasn't a thing. And you, you didn't hear about all these startups. I mean, maybe it was just starting at the time because you had Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. And they were starting kind of computer companies. But, you know. I, I don't know that uh, at that early stage I even had identified that that's what it is. I just thought it was kind of like creatively solving some business problems. Were your parents entrepreneurs? Like what was family life? Uh, my, my, uh, no, my parents were uh, disappointed in me because I wasn't going into um, becoming a dentist. So, <laughs> you know, in fact, I, I even... We do need more dentists, Michael. I do, I do, I do remember. Well, you know, I grew up in a, in a Jewish family and I do remember... Um, you know, after years of Blackboard, I actually remember that I, I, I called my mom and I said, Mom, can you believe that like this company that I started was just me and my roommate, Matt Patinsky, the two of us in a brownstone in downtown DC, we grew to 3,000 employees. And this, uh, this, this company that we started that just had a handful of clients ended up having 30,000 institutions use your technology around the world. And we started with a few hundred dollars in revenue. We grew to almost 600 million in revenue. And uh, we started as a small private company. I got to take public run for as a public company for seven years and then sell for 1.7 billion dollars and my mom said son that's great but remember you're not a doctor so like <laughs> there was always like that kind of expectations <laughs> also like it was kind of like a disappointment that i didn't like go into the family medical practice at, at all I, again going back to i don't know if entrepreneurship was really understood yeah. you know uh, you know back then as a career do you do you think of yourself today as an entrepreneur like how do you even relate to the term given the your journey in that in that manner does that feel good to you? Because I think there's also this youthfulness with saying you're an entrepreneur, and it's almost like it's almost it's like this sexy term that says it's kind of cool to be struggling. You know, it's like a twenty something that says I'm an entrepreneur and I'm fighting through it, and and there's a, it's like a badge of honor. Look, here, here's the irony that will address that. I spent most of my twenties. Um, when we were starting Blackboard, like dressing up, I'd wear like a jacket and try to like, you know, trying to look older and more mature to, to prove that I could be CEO. And uh, now that I'm in my uh, late 40s, I'm wearing a black t-shirt and ripped jeans trying to prove I'm younger and actually can run a tech company. So <laughs> there's some irony, you know, right there. Uh, I, I very much, though, would describe myself, and, I, and I've kind of put two hats on myself. I, look, at this point, I'm a, I'm a seasoned tech CEO, so I say I'm a, I'm a tech CEO, but I always still say that I'm a, an entrepreneur. And my last venture is like the perfect, the, the one that I'm doing now, class technology, is like the, 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 the perfect example that even you can be in your, in your uh, uh, late 40s and, um, and and still have the entrepreneurial mindset because I was home during the uh, pandemic as uh, we all were. And I have three kids and I saw they were all suddenly thrust online on Zoom. And they were having trouble engaging with their classes. And I asked their teachers, I said, hey, why are you having so much trouble engaging the students? They said, look, Zoom is an amazing tool. It is a, but it's a, it's a meeting tool. It's great for lectures online and it's great for group discussions. But a lot of what we do in the physical classroom you can't replicate online. And we do a lot. We take attendance, 
We hand out assignments, we give tests or quizzes, we proctor exams, we have group presentations, we talk one-on-one -on -one with students. Then we might like hand out digital uh, or electronic uh, content and use the internet and watch videos as well as grade items and check on student progress. And, and all of that, which we do in the physical classroom, you, you can't replicate online. And, uh, and I knew that Zoom had a software development kit, um, even though not a lot of people were using it because it weren't like any kind of industry standards yet. And I had a bunch of people I'd worked with previously at Blackboard. I got together with those uh, individuals that were already experts in kind of making uh, e-learning e uh, technologies. And we decided to add teaching and learning tools to Zoom. So again, it was the perfect example of like, I saw this problem that was, and I like instantly came like, wait a minute, you can add teaching and learning tools like into Zoom because I knew that they had an SDK and I saw this need. I got the other group of people and we started class and started adding teaching and learning tools to Zoom. And to, to tell you about the, the interest in the, in, the, in the very first announcement of our seed financing, 4,000 institutions reached out to us from around the world they're interested in buying our technology. I only had two sales guys. I gave each one 2,000 schools and said, just start calling them back. Since, since we started 18 months ago, 14,000 institutions around the world have reached out to us. It's, it's been crazy. Hard to keep up. Uh, it is, we're, and we're <laughs> falling behind, so. <laughs> uh, talk about your relationship, your personal relationship with success. Has it changed, changed you? I, look, to, to be honest, and maybe this is different um, you know, for different people, but I, I didn't, start Blackboard to like make a lot of money or, you know, uh, 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 um, you know, get rich or anything. I mean, that, that ended up kind of happening along the way, but I did it because I'm passionate about building businesses. I'm passionate about entrepreneurship. I'm passionate about education. I was passionate about making a difference. So I kind of, uh, you know, back then, I mean, I literally had $5,000 in my bank account, had nothing else. We quit our jobs and instead of, well, just, you know, we had enough money to cover rent for like two months of an office in downtown DC. And we just like started Blackboard. Uh, similarly, even though I have uh, uh, you know more money now with class, it's the same thing. I, I never really thought about it in terms of, you know, making a lot of money or, or being successful, just doing something that you're passionate about. And that's, that's why I'm, you know, people say, oh, you don't need to work now. Why are you doing this? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm passionate about starting businesses. I'm passionate about entrepreneurship and I'm passionate about education. So of course I want to do it all again. And you can't turn it off, I would imagine, whether it's identifying a bedsheet that could be more effective, right? That is still a good idea, by the way. I stand by it. You know, I'm always thinking of, I'm always thinking of companies and things and, and you know, creative applying, creatively applying solutions to business problems. I mean, I've interviewed a number of CEOs that have had, I would say, uh, comparable success in other sectors to, to what you've achieved in your career. And one of the themes that, that continues to come out is this and some greater than others, this, it's, it's almost like it, it resides deep inside them and it's not something they even share maybe with their spouses or their significant others or family or friends is that, gosh, after you've had that, that blackboard or you've had whatever that success is, the pressure is even greater for some of them to have the second, it's like the second act. You know, it's like in music, it's that the fear of the one hit wonder, right? You, you hit, you write a song and it, man, it goes viral, right? And you make a killing and it's just, it, it brings you notoriety, but then everybody wants to know what's next. Is that something that has ever eaten at you or how have you? I've, I've heard that, but that, you know, that's something that really hadn't kind of affected me. I, I, I you know, I thought, hey, Blackboard was this, you know, great success. I got to create a company that helped change the face of education around the world. If that was like my footnote in history, that that would, you know, be terrific. I didn't think I had to do anything to, you know, ever top that. Uh, so. 
th that's not something that drives me. Does that mean you're pretty good, Michael, at handling anxiety or just the stressors? Because when I talk to younger people who are thinking about starting something, one of the things that I'm looking at or I'm sort of evaluating maybe loosely is this, what's their risk tolerance? Like, can they, you know, can they handle that? There was a young entrepreneur the other day that was talking about, you know, he said, oh gosh, Rod, you know, last year I spent X thousands on contractors. And I said, look, that problem will never, <laughs> that's going to, the numbers will change. The decimal points may move, but that concept of cash flow and how you handle that is going to live with you as long as you're building and running a company, right? Yes, and just, just different things. Yeah, I, I would say that I'm a relatively low stress uh, individual. You, you, there's always an amount of stress that comes along with running a company, and it doesn't change. I found it. People would say to me, "Oh, Michael, you're running a you have three thousand employees at Blackboard. That must be so stressful." I'm like, honestly, like your stress level hits the max even when you had twenty employees or even a hundred or three hundred. It's not you didn't get more because you have more. You know, employees, if you're in charge of a company, you're in charging people's livelihoods and you're trying to build a business and build a successful product, however stressful you are, you are. I'm, I've been fortunate that I have a relatively low level of stress. And my backup and my mom, let's go back to my mom. My mom, what she said to me, she goes, you know, he's moved back into the basement in our house. So it was just very fortunate. You know, my parents always had a basement with an extra bed. So my worst case is I'm, it's not like I'm homeless or anything. I, I always go back, live with my parents and you know, they were wonderful people. So. How are you different now as a tech CEO, to your point, than you were in the early days? Like when you think about just leadership and the style that you employ, because there are pressures, right? Sometimes people say it is harder when you have 20 employees because everyone wants to keep that family kind of feel. And sometimes there are hard decisions that have to be made. And then sometimes it's a little bit easier. It's like public speaking. You know, sometimes it's easier when it's like 10,000 people because you can't see them with the lights hitting you than a small room, right? So what have you learned about yourself in leadership style as an entrepreneur? The, the main thing that I've learned along the way, and I actually learned this very early on, was uh, continually try to hire people that are better than you, which is a common saying among entrepreneurs. But the, the second part of it, not I, I think everybody's fault, which is and then let them do their job. So I believe in hiring great people and, and letting them you know, run. I always tell people, if I'm actually spending a lot of time with you, you're probably not doing your job as well. Like I, if, if you don't hear from me, terrific, because no, you're, you're doing, doing you're doing, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. I need you to do that because I'm focused on this thing over here. So um, you got to hire good people. Uh, you got to surround yourself with them, and then you got to let them, you know, you know, do what you brought them to the table to do. Is there a failure? It's a strong word. Is there a failure or a point in time or an experience that, in the moment, was maybe horrific to go through? but it was really necessary for you to sort of make whatever that natural next step was in your professional evolution. So, so similarly, people have always asked like, what are difficult decisions you've made along the way or, or, or things you would wish had gone differently? Uh, I, I have to say that I really look at any kind of uh, a, a journey in creating companies. Uh, yes, there were tons of bad things that happened along the way. We make tons of mistakes, like literally almost every day. And, uh, but all those, as long as you learn from them and do better, like contribute to where you get to, you know, in the future. You know, people, even going back to the beginning, people said to me, Michael, did you ever wish that you started Blackboard in San Francisco? Cause that's like the tech startup. I go, I go maybe, but I was successful starting in DC. Who knows if I'd gone to San Francisco, maybe I wouldn't have been able to get the developers or there wouldn't have been the interest and, and things would have been different. So if you're happy with where you are today, then all of those hardships along the way uh, paid off. And yes, every single day there are problems. Uh, I mean, I, ha I haven't had a day that doesn't have a problem so far. And we either fix it or learn from it, which makes us operate better tomorrow.
have you ever thought about opening up a business or doing something outside of education? Have you ever been? It's like a co- it's like a coach, and then right that says, I don't know, I've done college. I want to kind of move on. Oh, to pros oh in well, a different way or different well yeah. Well, a- actually, after Blackboard, I did a uh, a small location tracking uh, mobile phone company called Social Radar. Uh, ran that for three years and sold that to Verizon. And then I was CEO of a drone company, um, Precision Hawk, for three years. Uh, I love both of those experiences. Uh, they were great, but then the kind of impacted you now in what you're doing, or was it just helping to well, sort of get you well-rounded in sort of understanding other sectors? You know, I, the, the interesting thing for both of those was I, I was actually wondering if what I had learned while running Blackboard could also make me successful in, in other sectors. So I, I took a lot of those learnings and I, I applied it. And uh, it was even more obvious actually in the drone industry. I took a lot of what I had learned about becoming like a, a market leader in an industry and applied it. And we took a company that was, you know, I would say, uh, you know, an average company lost in the shuffle with a lot of other companies in the drone space. And we ended up being like one of the most prominent and well-respected and companies doing best in the drone industry. And I, it was actually all the stuff I learned at Blackboard applying it to another industry. So I found that very interesting because I wasn't sure whether it would apply or not. But a lot of the basic business principles, uh, you know, kind of applied across industries. Uh, and now I find myself back in education primarily because of, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly have this deep bench of knowledge in education, a lot of uh, connections here. And then obviously what was happening with COVID kind of put a spotlight on this industry and that kind of pulled me back in. Um, but my, my partner, Matthew, was always really the expert in education. I became an expert over the years, but my background was always in computers and business. So, uh, you know, I probably it was a little bit more malleable to working in other industries. Um, all that being said, I have an incredible passion for education. I believe that if you can really make a difference here, you can uh, increase access, lower the cost, allow more people who are uh, in troubled situations or maybe in poverty to access education and move their lives ahead. So I, it's one of the areas that you can have the biggest influence. So it's one of the areas that I'm the most passionate about. But yes, I, I have worked in other industries. Let's talk about family life. Um, you hear, you know, young people there, they have a different notion of what work-life balance is and then plugging in being an entrepreneur and these sorts of things, right? And so how is being an entrepreneur impacted you as, let's say, a dad or even a friend in that manner? Because it is kind of a 24-7 thing, for better or for worse, and there has to be some residual to that that might impact or maybe slant the way in which we engage with our kids or participate in our communities. How has that sort of impacted you at all, or what have you learned about yourself in that respect? Uh, I've learned that uh, being an entrepreneur is not conducive to good work-life balance. Uh, so if you want that, uh, maybe choose a different professional. It's uh, you, you when you're, I mean, you know, when you're, uh, whether you're an entrepreneur in the beginning, whereas the CEO, you have to, like, you only have a dozen other employees, so you're doing every other job, you know, and so you're working all the time versus you're a CEO of a large global company and you get a phone call at 3 a.m. because your Japan data center is down, you know. Both of them have you working at 3 a.m. Just doing different things. So if you're if you're interested in entrepreneurship and if you're interested in being an executive, I would also say those are jobs that are 24/7. Are there classic mistakes that you could spot now? Just given your sort of length of time you've been an entrepreneur, would you spot it from a younger person who's sort of just starting out? You say, ah, rookie mistake. Or like, are there hallmark signs of an entrepreneur? Or are we still in the wild west where we're <laughs> figuring it out as we go? Look, I, I think the the benefit of experiences I've seen and mostly made a lot of the mistakes. And definitely after I made them a second or a third time, I started to recognize them. So now I at least am able to stop myself from making them. And, but what about sort of in the industry, not just your, in essence, what you maybe experience as a pitfall, but when we think about sort of going to the education piece, right? So I think it, it still stands where 
when you meet a recent graduate, even of a, of a you know an MBA program, whatever that is, it, it goes back to the Star Wars notion, sort of like you know forget everything that you've learned, right? Just go with the force, kind of a thing. It feels like that still has merit in today's business world. That everything kids are learning, it's sort of like no, 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 take that away. This is how if you really want to work in the Michael Chasen world, you know, or these folks that have there's a different set of not rules but sort of ways of engagement. So, so no, no, I would actually push back a, a little bit on that. Like, you know, so certainly, um, you know, I think when you get an education, let's say you focus in business, you get your undergraduate or your graduate degree, like certainly a lot of what you're learning is for then much more advanced companies or if you're kind of going in at a general, uh, you know, corporate hierarchy, um, you know, but it gives you this basis foundation to build on. So, you know, when I took my finance and accounting class, which I, you know, only did mediocre to poor in each one of them, um, in my MBA program. But then when I was starting Blackboard and we were like building our own budgets from scratch, like what I learned there, like then started like seeping through and I could start seeing um, how all those numbers came together. So like the education definitely gives you the foundation you need. I don't think it, it teaches you to do things anything incorrectly. I think it gives you the foundation that then as an entrepreneur you can like build on and actually can give you the tools you need to do it. But it doesn't give you the completed house. It just gives you the tools you need to build the house. Um, and then you go through and you and you make mistakes and you learn from them. So I, I don't know if there are any mistakes that actually stand out that I can tell you like, oh, every entrepreneurship makes, um, except for the fact that they, because everyone makes different mistakes um, and we all make them all the time. Let's talk a little bit about the, in, the investment world and the, I would think, potentially the positive impact of having people who are outside of the ecosystem you and I share participating in education and investment, right? So. You know, it, it's public that, you know, Tom Brady's a part of your investment group and these sorts of things. And well, people might say, oh, that's exciting because it's, you know, it's Tom Brady. I actually look at it and think about the sort of the positive lane that can put us in where people outside of education are seeing not only should we be participating, but the impact that we can have down the line, regardless of money and these sorts of things, but the, the participation, the engagement. Is there something that we can take from this that is maybe opens the door to more opportunities for this sector? Uh, but I think it's not just this sector. I mean, I think all, you know, all sectors. Look, as, as a company, if you're raising capital, you want to get the professional investors in because they can actually provide insight and their expertise and what they've seen in other companies and building companies and have access to lots of capital. On the other hand, I think it's great to get the community involved, whether that's like famous people in the community or even just people who are active in the community because you really can get ideas and input from people that are then don't have the experience of, oh, well, I've invested in a hundred companies and here's what I've seen. So you're getting like slightly outside the box ideas or even just kind of a new lens on what you're doing or at the minimum, even if they're not contributing in that way, you're getting people that can help spread the word. You know, I spent a lot of my time just talking about the vision of what we're trying to create at class and what we're trying to do. So to have Tom Brady, you know, retweet one of our messages or send us a, you know, a video to the company, you know, saying how excited he is to be part of the team. Those are all things that, you know, can help in a way that, you know, just getting money from a, a large investment bank can't. So the, the trick is to do both. Let's talk about the next for you. Like, what, what do you envision? Obviously, class is, is doing quite well. You talked about just the number of inbound, you know, sort of the interest that you've gotten worldwide. At what point do you find there's a natural sort of next discussion in your own mind about the different things that you want to tackle and because you do there's a there's a calmness about you even just sitting across from you here um, that I think has probably been a secret to your success or one of is this sort of calmness about the whirlwind that is <laughs> building businesses in that regard 
do you allow yourself to then think, wow, that's an interesting idea over here? Or I wonder if I should, it's like you're farming, right? You, you know, you start to add different crops as you're going. I, I'm a little bit more of a, a, a monolithic uh, a thinker and executor. So uh, I don't think I've even begun yet to execute on, on what's going on, on on class. So I'm not yet at the point where I need to start looking at yeah. other ancillary kind of you know, spin-off or coordinated ideas. And, and let, let me tell you why, because this is actually what I find so fascinating about what we're doing now. Um, I would say that before COVID, the world thought that the future of online learning in whatever form that would take would be mostly asynchronous it, because you couldn't possibly hold live classes and put hundreds of thousands of teachers and millions or tens of millions of students online. It wasn't possible to, and things just didn't scale in that way. So the future of online learning was going to be people using things like Blackboard or or Moodle or Desire to Learn or, or Instructure Canvas. And it would be self-paced learning with a teacher office hours to just kind of guide them, you know, once a week or once every other week. But the preferred method of learning for everyone really is live instruction. I mean, that's, that's how people prefer to learn. That's how people really, for most people, you know, learn best. What COVID showed us was that actually the technology just recently became available that you could actually put every student in the world online. And that was mind-blowing. The fact that you could hold putting an entire institution online, much less every institution online and, and, and hold classes. Now, we were holding those classes online in a meeting tool, but that was that's still the most important first step. But clearly the next step is, once you can put everybody online, you can do live instruction, it's to take them out of the meeting room and put them in the classroom. And that's what we invented at class. We actually made a Zoom classroom. And I would argue, look, the number one use for Zoom in the world and other products like um, the, the other uh, you know, meeting tools is meetings online. But the second biggest use case is instruction online and classes online. Uh, and we invented the online classroom. Uh, the, 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 we, we mirrored the physical class experience and we were able to replicate that online. So to me, this is exciting because one, this opportunity is huge. I mean, Zoom has over 130,000 education institutions that are using their products for teaching online. And that's not even counting all the corporate trading or counting all the people in Microsoft Teams or other products. Just Zoom is 130,000. So, look, uh, the, the, so that's just scratching the surface. I mean, we we have three hundred. So I, I you know, uh, three hundred and fifty uh, institutions uh, using us today. So uh, I, I have a hundred and um, twenty nine thousand seven hundred more to contact to get to use our technology. But the thing that's exciting to me about this is not just the huge greenfield opportunity. If you really can put live instruction online at scale, then you can, for the first time, lower the cost of education from where it is currently, and increase access in a way that wasn't possible before. You can run Zoom and you know class from your iPhone or your iPad, which is cheaper than a computer, and you can be miles outside of the city in another country, and if you can access live instruction for maybe the first time, you can help raise entire societies out of poverty, move entire nations ahead. So. When I'm looking at the opportunity of class, it's not that we're building a, a great product, which we are, uh, and, and we're also building a great company, but I think that we're doing something great. We're, we're, we're doing well by doing good. And that is a very exciting mission and, and, and vision, something that I'm personally passionate about. And I can tell you, we've surrounded ourselves a class of people who are also passionate about that same mission and vision. So when you ask me, am I thinking about these answers like this? No, I, I'm thinking that we have technology that can fundamentally improve the state of education around the world, and we are very focused on making that happen. You know, one thing as we as we put a wrap on this discussion, you say we a lot more than you say I. 
And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that that has a very positive trickle-down effect on the people that you collaborate with. And that's not always the case. I think that the balance of ego for entrepreneurs is something that has to be held in check because there are times where employees and like people want that CEO to sort of be that per persona. But I don't sense that that's, that's natural, but in a, in a positive way with you. This is not about you want to stand on high and make a proclamation. You'd rather do that with others. Oh, look, I, I, I am certainly um, well-versed in explaining the mission and the vision uh, of the company. But, uh, you know, look, we have an incredible group of very talented developers. We have an incredible group of very talented uh, account managers and salespeople and business development people. And you need all of those to have a successful company, except for even more so, I would say that what makes class actually unique is across all of those different uh, parts of the organization, you have people that are passionate about education and passionate about making a difference. And if you want to know why I think we're going to have an incredibly successful company, and I would say why we had an incredible successful company in Blackboard, it was because we didn't only have people that were top in their fields, but actually cared about what we were doing. We're not just another game company or another email company. Like we are actually making a difference. And the, the fascinating thing is when you're linking it back to COVID, I, I think COVID caused a little bit of a re-examination. And you hear about like the great resignation and stuff. It's not just that people wanted to work at home. They wanted to do something more meaningful with their life. We have a company that is completely remote. Everybody works from home. Uh, and we have people from all across different industries, all across the United States, even people around the world. But the thing that I can tell you that ties us all together, everyone is passionate about the change that we're going to make in the face of education and the positive effect that that can have on the world. And um, I am fortunate to be, uh, you know, one of the leaders of that organization and to get to be the mouthpiece, but by far, if it wasn't for all those passionate people, the company wouldn't be successful. I hope people can, can sense even through the audio, but just the energy that you bring when you're talking about it. This is not just a passing fancy. Like, uh, folks, Michael is really, really into this. And, uh, and we need that. I think we need that. Anybody who's a parent or, you know, a student, I think, of just planet Earth, it's important to have. Well, continued success. We'll be watching to see what not only you do, but what class does in the coming days. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, well, thank you very much. And make sure to visit uh, class.com and learn more. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.